We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're running out of ways to say how good Declan Rice is. But if you want another way, just take a look at what happened to the club that wasn't able to sign him this summer. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Declan Rice is an exceptional, exceptional footballer. And we know this because he plays for Arsenal. We get to see it every week. We also know that the club that tried to sign him has played without Rodri four times and lost all four of those games domestically, um, including allowing... It says here 22 shots and over two expected goals to Unai Emery's Aston Villa. Wow, that team is in good form. I wouldn't want to be the club that goes to Villa Park next. Oh, that's us. So we'll have to discuss Unai. Um, A contentious topic, you might say. We probably won't discuss Unai so much as the challenge of going to Villa Park. And I think there has been a little bit of pants pooping by Arsenal fans worried about that game, and I will explain my perspective on why we shouldn't poop our pants. Uh, I say this as someone who's had two young children and, in general, been around a lot of pants pooping and, you know, can speak to it uh, with authority. So we have a lot going on. Um, We will have a power ranking spot over on Patreon tomorrow where we will go over the the Villa City game in more detail, the United-Chelsea game. Um, If you want to call that a game, I think it was target practice. I think is what you call that. Uh, Just the 28 shots. (laughs) <laughs> for for United and four plus expected goals against a Chelsea, it says here, team. I don't know if that's the accurate description. So we'll be going into all of that. Um, obviously, there's just loads of good stuff over there we'd love to have you for, but most importantly, happy to have you here and happy to have you here with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stomanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, indeed. Um, I, I want to do this. So it, it's weird, right? Because we do the instant reaction and the game's just happened and it's so fresh. And it it somehow feels like beating Luton was four years ago now with everything that's happened in football since then. Um, you know, we, we've got to talk touchline ban for Mikel Arteta. We've got to talk Declan Rice and David Raya and, and Villa and preview that. So I think what we should do, I don't think the Luton game is one for deep tactical analysis. I think it's one for the major themes that come out of the game because it, it feels like very themey 
to me. We sort of like, you know, one thing I see going around, I see a lot of people saying stuff like, uh, oh, you know, you sh- should be worried for Villa based on that defensive performance you put in against Luton. Like, we put in our usual performance by and large. Like, we dominated the game. The XG was outrageously in our favor. The shots were outrageously in our favor. The possession was mostly outrageously in our favor. But the keeper chucked a couple in, and it makes the game look very different. It was certainly a sensational game now that we have the benefit of hindsight. Let's start at the end, though. Let's start at the end. Tim, the experience of having Declan Rice has been more than I could possibly have hoped for. And I said on my little sort of unmarked pod yesterday that I did that we've been trying to anoint a Vieira-era parent ever since we had Vieira. And you could argue the thing that has held Arsenal back the most since Vieira has been not having a Vieira, not having a big, physical, athletic player who can dominate the center of the park. You could argue is also not having another Saul Campbell or another Tony Adams. We we certainly have that as well now too. <laughs> but um, I think Declan Rice is, it's the obvious player that we've spent 20 years not signing. <laughs> and, I, and I realized maybe I struggled to warm t- to him before we signed him because like, I have big, physical, athletic. Why would we want that? We want small and technical and good feet. <laughs> like it turns out, no, actually, this, this is what you want. He has that it factor, that winning factor. He is such a special footballer. How, how impress, Im- impressed are you? How incredible is it that he has just absorbed this football club to him the way he has with such a huge fee hanging over him as if he was just born to do this. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I never doubted it. I really, really didn't. I've, I mean, it's... it's, cough, it's no, I did cough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I listened to the unmarked. I, you know, it's no great insight on my part to say I thought he'd be great. And um, that you're going to get um, an early disco uh, rendition of I wrote about this today, um, mm-hmm. which is... You know, we record on a Thursday. I publish on a Thursday. What can I say? It happens a lot. <laughs> and the column is literally about, it's it's kind of about Declan Rice, but actually it's about the difficulty of writing and talking about players who are just brilliant all the time because you can't really burnish any insight on that. So as Arsenal content creators, David Raya, Kai Havertz, you know, following in the slipstream of the likes of, of Giroud and Walcott and Xhaka, these are the guys that make our jobs easy <laughs> because they have character arcs and narratives and all of that. And increasingly, Elliot, we're getting more and more players who are just really, really good all the time. And that's really difficult to talk about. And I'm really upset with Arsenal for doing it because it's making our job a lot harder. Um, but... <laughs> But with Declan Rice, it's funny, there's a couple of things on this. Like I was doing, um, I think I've said before, I do a bit of a BTS kind of research um, work for people I can't and won't name. But I, I was looking into the West Ham Tottenham game, which is happening tonight. And I was reading some articles about West Ham and uh, Thomas Suchek has started scoring again this season. And I was looking into that. And, you know, there are articles about how two seasons ago when Suchek and Rice played together, Rice played the deeper role and Suchek played ahead of him, so he scored loads of goals. Last season, they swapped and Suchek sat deeper and Rice went forward. And basically the reason for that is I've said many times that Rice has this great capacity for learning and adding things to his game all of the time. And basically what happened was Declan Rice kind of went away summer of 2022 and went, why am I playing as the deeper player? Um, maybe what do I need to do to like add more to my game? And he went away and he did it. And so David Moyes swapped them and was like, actually, 
Declan Rice, he can play either position, but I think I'm going to have him like in that slightly more roving role. And that, and that impacted Suchek, and now Suchek has gone back to the more advanced role, blah, blah, blah. But it, it just shows you that like he can do so many things and he can do them all well and he does them all well all the time. Mm. Like try and picture in your head a moment of sloppiness from Declan Rice, a sloppy pass, mistimed tackle, not being in the right position. Like it, you know, maybe he should have done better on a corner here. I'm still a little bit loath with set pieces because they're so chaotic, Mm -hmm. to be honest, to really attribute that unless it happens all the time. But like it, it just, everything he does is really good all the time basically. All his passes are on the mark. He's always in the right position. He's got a lovely way. I think he's got a lovely deceptive way on the ball, actually. I see it a lot where he he just shows the opponent a little bit of the ball. It's almost Saliba-like, and then he just snatches it away. Like he just, he uses the outside of his foot or something. It's a little bit unorthodox the way he's able to like extend and retract limbs. Yep. And so... And when you watch particularly live in a stadium, you really notice it because when you watch a lot of football, your brain skips ahead because you see so much football that you kind of think, oh, I know what's going to happen here. Or (laughs) I know what happens when a touch looks like that and someone's running towards it. And every now and then you get players who just catch you out and go, oh, what? Where's And like I said, Saliba does it as well. Um, and and you think, oh, okay, that's slightly unusual, and he does that so much. But yeah, to your point, I think you called him a high leverage moment player. Mm-hmm. He's definitely got that gene. He's definitely got that, you know, slightly Roy of the Rovers, Brian Robson, Stephen Gerrard type. You know, puts the Superman cape on in the ninety fifth minute and says, okay, if I've got to go, if I've got to go in the penalty area and win this game, that's what I'm going to do. And yeah, you're, you're right. He's just. It's Elliot, it's the most obvious signing of all time because we couldn't sustain our title challenge last season because we got a bit too loose off the ball. So we just signed the best off the ball player in the division and that solved a lot of our problems. And I, and I really do think sometimes it's that simple. Yeah, I mean, it's it's he's already given us a couple of incredible moments, right? The the United winner, the, the hook slide, um, tackle to recover the ball and and set us away against city the the clearance off the line against brentford right um this winner though this is something special and i i think to be an to be a player who can win you games like this you have to have the ability to find a reserve of energy and quality when nobody has anything left in the tank and i did think we looked a bit shattered at the end of the game and i I'll admit, I kept expecting the whistle to blow. I expected the whistle to blow when we took the free kick. I expected it when it went to Zinchenko, then when it went back to Odegaard. And when it goes in, to have the understanding, I'm not going to get ahead of the player here. I'm going to drop back behind him. And to have enough leap and to have enough power in the header to get it to where it needs to go. When you've played 96 minutes of football for what feels like the 400th time this season already, It was pure elation. And for the people that, you know, would want to go sour grapes and be like, oh, you needed a late winner to beat Luton. You need that in seasons. You know who didn't get a late winner to beat Luton? Liverpool. Liverpool blew Luton away just like we did statistically. But they didn't get a late winner. And you know who didn't get a late equalizer or late winner this this week? Manchester City. 
And so that winner means we have two extra points. And if if you want to look at the, the difference between wins and draws, look at how where, where United are in, in the table and look at where City are in the table. I think they're separated by just a couple of points. You know why? City have three three points between the Manchester Clubs. Three. How bad are United? They're real bad. But you know what they don't have? They don't have a single draw. They have six losses this season, but no draws. City have three draws. Draws are what kill you. They really are. And we we went for it. We pushed for it. And we have Declan Rice. And Manchester City don't. And I think that describes the weeks we had. Um, it sums it up really well. Clive, I I mean, we, you can wax poetic about Rice a bit if you want, certainly. Um, I think because we have so much to cover, I'd be prepared to to move the conversation. So you want to just quickly on Rice and the winner and and the experience, then we'll I think we'll uh, we'll push it ahead because there's just so so much to cover on this episode. Uh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, I, I sat on the stage in um, Union Chapel and said we need to change our off-the-ball play, and this mm. is who, this is, and I said, Rice is better than Bellingham, remember, everyone looked at me and like, looked at me like I was an idiot. That's, he, that's still a bold claim, by the way. <laughs> well, he's, be, he's better, what I, <laughs> what I really meant was, he's better than us, he's better for us. We needed yeah. this guy more than we needed Bellingham. That was my felt feeling at the time, given how the end of the season went, etc. And it was all about exacerbating the other side of the game, right? The 86 minutes that you have as a player where you are not on the ball. And it's very, very important. And um and so we have we have fixed that situation. I think just to I give another angle to this, because the player's obvious and um and he's he's a quality player. But it's a this is a very important moment for the club, this is. To take a mid-twenties England international captain away from one club, to bring him into our club and improve him. What is he saying to the rest of the young players that want to improve themselves and learn different aspects of their game? They're looking at Arsenal and saying, I want to be in that group. What cannot happen is a player comes in of that sort of profile and we break him. We break him because that is a bad advert for the club going forward and where you want to go with this project. So I think it's huge. I think it's absolutely huge. You look at Saka, what's happened to him and his improvement over his time, Martinelli, we can go through Saliba. They, they are improving to a rate, Odegaard. They're improving to a place in the game that makes me think we have a tight group of potentially generational players and how we supplement them is the only thing I think about day and night because we have to support their careers. We have to. The only way you do that is with quality. Absolute quality. You have to hit the target because you you have a window. You can't mess it up because everyone's looking at them and they'll buy them. I know the market's reduced out there now compared to you know a few years ago. You know, Spain are not trumped. And so we haven't got a load of money there. So, so basically... We control it in the Premier League, so we have to control their careers. And I think it's a very important signpost to how we improve people, and we've got to keep that going because it's very important. I just can't imagine why you wouldn't want to come to Arsenal right now. I mean, obviously money is going to dictate a lot of decisions, but we look like the fun place to be for sure. You see a team that plays dominant, controlling football, creates a lot of chances, players that seem to really love each other, players getting their flowers, getting into national teams. We're, we're in that place we didn't think we'd be this quickly. I mean, it, it is amazing the distance we've traveled. And it, it's so weird. You guys both said, you know, Declan Rice is sort of the obvious player. 
it's it's weird, right? Because we just it's the profile of player we either haven't been able to recruit or haven't tried to recruit for 20 years. And now he's here and it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> that was obvious. Why didn't we just do that? It could be taken two years to recruit him, by the way. That's how long yeah, it yeah. So it's not an overlap well, thing. And we looked at Caicedo, legitimately looked at Caicedo in January. That's for sure. And to have the courage to pass on that when you're chasing a title and and wait for the guy you, you could get. I mean, that's that's a big call. Go to the other big narrative in this game. I do want to talk Kai Havertz because he's brilliant. I want to talk Gabriel Jesus. We need to obviously talk about the Villa City game, uh, the Villa game that's coming up. But Clive, I'll stay with you on on Raya for a minute. Like we're just in a place now. I mean, look, there are two bad errors. I I really like what Mikel said because I agree. He said we didn't defend well enough on the goals. That is correct fundamentally. I don't think a guy that size should have a free run at a header in the box three yards out from goal on a corner kick. And I don't think Ben White covers himself in glory in the way he marks Barkley for the shot. And I've you know heard some things about how Raya should have attempted to save that, maybe with his foot instead of trying to get his body down to it. But they are big errors. And we have put ourselves in this situation now, unfortunately, where like anytime our keeper makes an error. The other keeper is going to get a lot of shots sitting in the stands. They happened that kudos to the producers of premier league football. Cause they waited until Ramsdale smiled. Who knows why he was smiling. Maybe he was thinking about a vacation. He took a few years back to a sunny climate. They caught him smiling on the, on the bench right after a Raya error and put it up on, on camera. Clive, this is just the situation we're going to be in, but you know, before you go and say, well, we just start Ramsdale in the next game. We started Ramsdale against Brentford, and it's Declan Rice's brilliance on the line that keeps that from being a calamity. So, I mean, I, I assume we will persist with Raya, but what do you think of the errors he made and where we're going to go with this situation from here, given how it's looking at the moment? Yeah, so the last podcast we did was like literally seconds after the final whistle, and it's all a bit emotional, and and um, Luton, being Luton means something to me, and uh, it's, a, it's a bit emotional, and... And I will say, look, what I don't like is I like the club to be calm. So I am addicted to serenity. I like calm. When I see people having a go and at the club... yet you podcast with me, you crazy <laughs> And I try to bring serenity to the podcast, right? So, um, so basically... I don't like when people are chipping away at us from above. I, you know, it just comes out. It comes out of me. I don't like when people are having a go at the manager for how he behaves and how he's how he expresses anger, etc. And I like serenity around the dressing room because then we can focus on the football because the football is what really, really matters. So when I see a situation that feels a little bit self-inflicted, that's actually affecting the serenity surrounding the club and creating a narrative around the club, I don't like that. And I bring it back to football. I think... I don't want to be like, oh, he's better, he's this, he's that. I don't mean it will, that will sort itself out. This is elite sport and elite sport, you have to compete for your elite wages. It's as simple as that. You can't expect this to be kindergarten. So I want to see a competition. I want them to fight. I want to compete. If they fight and compete, we get a better goalkeeper. It feels in a moment that we're getting (laughs) two goalkeepers that are potentially affected by the whole situation. So that, that needs to be managed. That needs yeah. to be managed. It doesn't really matter. Don't throw 
FB ref bars at me. I'm not interested. That that situation needs to be managed. It needs to be managed properly. So we get there some goes my calm- next segment, by the way. <laughs> so we get <laughs> we get calmness and serenity back in that position. And that needs clarity and transparency to individual players, or that needs one of them to go. I don't care. Because we're not going to get what we want to get if there's that much light shining on this position. So decide how you want to manage it, but manage it. Because if it was a, if a two centre force chipping away at um, affecting each other by the way they perform in a negative way, I would say exactly the same thing. So bring it away from who you like stylistically, what he's doing. That's what I'm trying to say to myself. In the end, we don't want people picking on that space in our team because they think there's a weakness there emotionally or mentally. You know, we can't have that. And, and the fact that we've done it in a, in a positive way to improve and raise the standards, by raising the standards, you could end up, re, you know, reducing the standards. Sorry, lowering the standards is the right word. Mm. That is not smart. That's not elite. So fix it, manage it properly, whether that's in the short term, by talking to people and clarifying or in the, in the medium term, by getting rid of one of the actors in the room. That's how you do it. And that's, that's where my head is two days after the game. I think the thing that complicates this is that there is this sort of argument of, oh, we have a perfectly good keeper and we blew it. We brought in this other guy. Why did we do that? You know, Mikel blew it. He should have stuck with Ramsdale. He could have stuck with Ramsdale, certainly. I don't, we all said it in the summer that we thought Ramsdale was okay but was an opportunity for an upgrade. And I don't think the issue is so much that we tried to upgrade Ramsdale because if you take the rose-tinted glasses off, you can go back to last season and see some critical, critical errors that were made across the season. If you take the rose-tinted glasses off, you can look at how he's played this season. Now, I I forgive him somewhat that because I think we created the situation where his comfort and his confidence were blown blown, you know, in, in the ashes. But... The issue to me is more the guy we brought in hasn't been the rock-solid improvement. And that raises the question both about the player we brought in and about why we did it in the first place. Um, And we put ourselves in a really hard position, too, because let's face it, against West Ham in the League Cup, Ramsdale looked very poor, right? Against Brentford, he made critical errors. Before Raya even got the job, you know, at the end of the transfer window, he had made a couple critical errors. So it's not like we can just go back to Ramsdale and have the confidence that he'll be the the mostly reliable guy. Um, you know, the other thing about Ramsdale that I find interesting, Tim, is I think Ramsdale was always a guy who showed up great in the games where we were being bombarded. You know what I mean? He He yeah. had those mega games in him like at Anfield last season but showed up somewhat poorly at home against lesser teams, for example, right? Where he'd roll it out to the opposition or chuck one in his net. Um, and it's interesting because the Athletic had put a stat out. Um, you could probably find it you know, at the Athletic or anywhere on social media that Aaron Ramsdale saved percentage in home games versus save percentage in away games for Arsenal. 71.6% away, 65.6% at home. Raya... at home, so better than Ramsdale home, less good than Ramsdale away. This is funny, though. His save percentage in away games, 50%. Now, there's one problem with that stat. We face so few shots. And interestingly, I've always felt those were the games that Ramsdale struggled in also. It takes a very special keeper to be good in games where you only have to do two things. 
You know, I think that is really hard and not every keeper is is built for it. So I think we're just going to stick with Raya, and I think we almost have to. I think we've made yeah. our bed, so to speak. Would you go a different way? Would you go back to Ramsdale? I mean, again, given that he hasn't exactly looked rock solid when he's gotten his it's, chance this season, it's. I think it's so complicated. You, you, you're right. Like it's because if you go back to Ramsdale, you can't really go back to Raya after that. If you go back to Ramsdale, it's a final decision. Basically, you kind of can't, like you said, kind of made. We pitch the tent now. Um, and and that's kind of it, I think. I I did see that. Um, I've bookmarked that to read that that um, suggestion of playing Raya at home and Ramsdale away. But this and and I've been thinking about it this morning. But actually, the other thing that makes this complicated is to what extent do you think David Raya is partially responsible for shot suppression through increased control? Mm. Um, I, I'm I'm not necessarily saying he is. I'd have to, like, again, goalkeeper's quite a specialist position. I'd have to have a more of a look at the numbers and everything like that. But I think Arteta would argue with that, like, because we all know, I think we all know, like we say, like Ramsdale better maybe when bombarded, when the crowd are on his back, that gets him up and, and all of that. But the issue is Arteta wants away games to be like home games, right? He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to be bombarded. He doesn't want our goalkeeper geeing the crowd up. And so he kind of wants that serenity away from home as well. So then the question becomes, how much do you think Raya is, is, you know, helps us to suppress shots um, by playing with more relaxation and control and, and all of that. And, you know, I, I guess Arteta, I privately would say he wants to move to a model where he doesn't want his goalkeeper flinging himself everywhere, having to make saves every two minutes. And and he views Raya as part of that. Whether he is or not, I think he's very much open to debate. I, I think he kind of has been the last month or so. It looked to me like he really settled down and now this game's happened and like another bomb's kind of gone off in the middle of the situation, which is really unhelpful. And obviously we're in a situation now where every game is to every time there's a mistake it's it's like a referendum and we had to do this chat after Brentford when Ramsdale did it as well and that's just how this situation is now and so then the other question is how much impact does that actually have internally again I don't know the answer to that Arteta might not care he might just be like well you guys can talk about that all you want but that doesn't bother me like I'm not a podcaster I'm not a column writer <laughs> like I don't really care what people are talking about around the club but I don't I don't know that it's that far because clearly he's been tetchy about being questioned about it which kind of makes me think he is a bit sick of it so he clearly doesn't not care and clearly there's an impact with the support as well like I can tell you there's no David Raya song yet Right. And I can tell you, like, no one boos him or anything, but, you know, the goalkeepers spend a lot of time with the fans because they're in the closest proximity, particularly when they're idle and they can hear everything behind them. And and there isn't a rapport with Raya yet. I'm not saying people are on his back or anything, but there's no rapport there with the supporters. So I think you know what the supporters think in general in the stadium about this, even if it's not all out mutiny. But it doesn't take long for that situation to become mutinous. It doesn't take long for fans to start saying, like to start getting on. Like, I do think that maybe like we're one Ryan mistake away 
from people you know I, we have already heard it like people chanting aaron ramsdale's name like maybe a few weeks ago when ryan made mistakes but i think we're close to that in the in the support like another riot error soon in the next couple of games and i think you will hear and see that and and, and i don't think arteta wants that either so there's so much more around this situation that's actually really really difficult to pass but i do think the main thing in arteta's mind will be how much does raya contribute to raya not being busy if you know what i mean yeah i i yeah clive uh the kid needs a big game mate he hasn't got a big game uh in his locker he hasn't got a memory. Give up enough for him to have a big game. <laughs> you oh, know mate, what I mean? Like even City had 0.4 xG. We just we don't get so, battered anymore. So <laughs> we hope that can line continues, Elliot. But my line is every game is different, and none of us thought we can see three goals at Luton, right? So, so we need to look at the football that way around. I'm afraid he needs a big game. He hasn't got a big memory in this club. His memories are negative ones. He's been a decent goalkeeper. He's obviously got decent abilities. He hasn't had an Anfield game. He hasn't had a Tottenham away game. He hasn't had. He hasn't. He hasn't had a James Madison save off a free kick that sticks in all our minds like Ramsdale has. He hasn't had that. If he has that, then the songwriters will be off in a big moment, and that's just the way it goes. I'm afraid he has to earn this by playing well, not by doing a Superman on a cross. Do you know what I mean? And um, so it's up to him, and it's and it's and then things will change. So Saturday, which I'm with you, Elliot, I think he'll play. Big game Saturday night, live on TV. Big game. We win the game in that corner at Villa Park. You know how that rolls, Tim. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yeah, I. So we are seventeenth in save percentage. We're 15th in post-shot XG minus goals plus minus, which is a fancy way of just saying we've let in more goals than our XG allowed would suggest. By the way, just above us is Manchester City. It's funny because Ederson low-key just does not rank well in that stat. And everybody talks about Ederson like he's right there with Allison. Let me tell you something. Ederson is not right there with Allison. City um, fans have concern about Ederson. They do, and they've had them yeah. for a while. And he found his form just in time for Champions League late games but mate on the way there was a lot of chit chat about Ellison last season so let's just continue this season but let's be clear you cannot decide to change your style a bit to be more controlling to emphasize control and territory and shot suppression and therefore maybe create just a few fewer chances if you chuck them in your own net we are trying to win more games 2-0 than 5-1 this season and I understand why we're trying to do that, right? We are suppressing shots at an unbelievably good level. Our XG against is still top of the league by a lot. But that only works if you don't chuck them in and give them easy ones. And so this isn't sustainable if it keeps going like this. I'll say this. I, I back Raya to, to come through this. I am a little nervous about a short keeper. Maybe it is my own self-loathing as a short person, you know? Andrew and I were chatting on WhatsApp about this, um, about his short person, anti-short person bias. Um, and he said, I should just wear lifts. And now that I think about it, maybe maybe Raya should do that. Can we get Adidas to make some keeper boots with lifts in them? But yeah, I mean, I have Ospina 
memories. I, I do struggle with short goalkeepers because I think we concede so few chances. But the one thing that where we can get beat are set pieces. And watching him jump, in quotes, if you want to call it jump, to try to you stop that corner was not a pretty view. Ramsdale gets to that. That's for sure. And I don't think the defense cover themselves in glory. But to me, th- this is very clear. Raya's got the job. In a way, I almost wish they did what they did with Leno. It would have been painful. They should have let Ramsdale go before the window closed and kept a Matt Turner type keeper in reserve because it does not look like this situation is making either of them feel very comfortable. Right? We've got Ramsdale's dad telling everyone he's lost his smile. He looks that way when he plays. And then we've got Raya going out there and looking like a guy who knows he's got someone behind him who could take his job. I think that works in some positions. Can I, on that as well, um, the Writer's House podcast this week, there's an interview with David Seaman, Mm. and he says, I I can't talk about it because I'm too close to Aaron Ramsdale. Mm. Like, he, he, like, very, like, he dodges the subject. Like, when I say dodges the subject, he explicitly dodges it and says, I'm I'm too close to Aaron. I can't really talk about it. And that's kind (laughs) of saying something without saying something, right? Yeah. When you keep someone around who is the backup, at a position that's one error away from being a a, a talking point. And that player is a huge figure in and around the club, among the fans and the people close to the club. You are setting yourself for a disaster. And I think Mikel and Adu have gotten basically everything right, period. Even if Raya is the guy, and he might be the guy, he could still very well be the guy, the situation doesn't feel ideal. It is, you know what we've eliminated so effectively over the last few years? Distraction. We've created a harmonious camp free of distraction. And this one, this one, the serenity, Clive, that you pointed to, I don't know if it's as serene as we want to be. Look, we'll probably, unfortunately, be talking keeper again in the future. Let's hope we're talking about how brilliant the keepers are playing. That's all that matters. The great thing about football is you can fix it. You know how you fix it? You just go out and play great. And that's what Raya just has to focus on, just play great. And he can. Um, And, you know, much like the Brentford game, where Ramsdale was patted on the back at the end because of relief, Raya got that pat on the back at the end of the Luton game because he got bailed out. And it's okay if he gets bailed out. But I do think it is a bit of a travesty if we have the best defense in the league and we keep chucking him in our net. Um, and eventually players like Saliba and Gabriel and the fullbacks and the, the midfielders, they'll want to not have that happen. So let's see what happens. We'll keep an eye on it. I'm sure we might talk about it again this season. Um, Clive, one player who was taking the heat off Raya by being the player who got criticized <laughs> was Kai Havertz. But he scores again. Samina, hey, hey. Waka, waka, hey, hey, hey. Um, he, he just has started to blossom. And I don't want to over-gild the lily and be like, oh, he's the best player on the planet. He's probably the second best player behind Declan Rice. But like, um, this, was, this was not just a game where he scored. This is a game where I think he looked like... All the things we hoped he'd be. He had that one driving run through the middle, right? That was really good. He was physical. He won the ball back. Kai Havertz looks like he's starting to get it and maybe shed some of the Chelsea, some of the shame and disappointment of his Chelsea career and blossom into an Arsenal player. Um, I do think Kai Havertz blossoming into an Arsenal player is key to our success. So please tell me that I'm right and that's what you're seeing as well. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Um, I, I feel... Most of the position in this team, maybe potentially fullbacks and people argue about centre forward. <laughs> we argue about goalkeeper now. But most of the positions in this team are pretty well set in stylistically. 
And there's one position which I felt was more individual, based on that individual, and was a bit of a, a decoy position, you know, the granite shaker, left mid, left eight role, left ten, whatever you want to call it. I always felt it was quite mythical. And I felt that we all see it in slightly different ways. You know, some people see it as a pair with Odegaard, some people see it as a second midfielder out of three, like I do on occasions, and they get on the seesaw. One goes up, one goes down, take the position from each other. Someone see it as a box crashing role. Some see it as a, someone goes on the outside of Martinelli. In short, this player's got to be able to do quite a lot. It's got to be an all-court, all-rounder, which is why I was excited about Kai Havertz. When I saw the side of the game of his game, which I didn't knew existed in the very first game I saw him in, I could not. I was beyond excited. You know, because I realised the potential was there for him to really do well for this club. Obviously, it didn't quite happen. Right? So, uh, and then you think, oh, crikey, have I misread it? Have I misread it? And, and you start to look at the numbers. You start to look at the this quiet division amongst the fan base. I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want to keep this boat moving nice and smoothly through the water. And I did feel it was a little bit linked to his personality, shall we say, feeling part of it, truly part of it from a team perspective, knowing his importance and expressing himself. You know, I think, and what we're seeing now is a player expressing himself because I never felt it was a talent issue. A player feeling he could express himself and when he expresses himself, it's precisely what the team needs. And so I think I look at the balance of our team, particularly the front six that we've seen in the last couple of games. Man, I love it. I absolutely love it. I love everything about it. The, the team ethic, the off-the-ball play, the attacking of the box, the carrying, the size, the speed. I'm looking at it and I just I honestly love it. Love that that six we can all name. I, I love it. <laughs> is that clear? <laughs> I absolutely. Because, it is, yes. Because, <laughs> because I tell you why it's clear, or I tell you why I love it, Elliot, is because... You need to be able to play different types of games to win. And we saw that on, on Tuesday night. When I saw him play double six at Brentford, the League Cup, and and with Jorginho, and having to be Jorginho's physical partner, I knew he can play in there. I knew from that, from that day he could play in there. And so it's all about expressing people, judging on their product. I knew that would come. It's going to come. I've seen him score goals at Arsenal. I've seen him score goals for Germany, top corner. It's, it's going to come. It's just, it's just locked. It's just locked. Now people are seeing the goals and they feel it's okay to say he's all right now. Do you see what I mean? But I think the most important thing is he allows us to play in different ways. And I think it's an incredibly valuable tool for us on first exits, on defending the ball in the air, on retaining the ball, second balls, also hitting the box. So many things. I could... Too many things to mention. Very, very, very decent player. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, the the thing that is encouraging, I think, Clyde, because obviously quality and performance matters most of all, but also profiles are interesting. And so as he starts to get more confident and more comfortable playing for us, which it looks like is happening, and his his performances go up, I just think having that profile, right, another tall player, physical player, aerial dual winner, right? We can use, um, you know, we, we can use uh, Leo Trossard in that role if we need to. Yeah. But you've seen in games, we've used Jorginho and Rice, and Rice in that role and what it gives you in terms of physicality. I don't think that's our preference to do that. And I think you can do it 
with Rice and Kai, with Kai starting to feel himself a bit more and and get some of those profiles, but also get a little bit more oomph at the attacking end of the pitch. So it's it's lovely to see, you know? Just variation a little bit. You remember, mm-hmm. remember Chelsea away when we were struggling a little bit and we mm-hmm. bought Georgina on, I, th- I believe, and then we sort of stuck Rice into the central area a little bit more. And then he went and got the ball. He just went and, and seeked it and hunted it. If a game requires that, do we need to make sure we have someone at the base that can do it? And it may that might, might not be Kai Havertz, maybe somebody else. Do you see what I mean? It's having the ability to just shift game models within game. This is our biggest strength. I mean, look how many substitute goals we have. Look how many late goals we have. That's not because we played the same way throughout the whole game. Because we changed how we played and found a solution and then won the game. You know, mm. this is our trick. You said something earlier after this grease slightly earlier about us being a bit tired. We're just finding a solution to win the game, mm. you know? And if you looked at all a lot of our our game impact late in games, we look like a team fitted the most your position. And we're sure. we're yeah, we're no getting question. to we're getting to them, you know? And so so yeah, man. Man, I, I love I love the game recognition of this group. Love it. That's my that's my big thing. And having the tools to actually execute it is, is great. Yeah, and by the way, like I, I think every game is different and it, it presents different challenges. I think people probably don't realize just how unique that situation at Luton is at Kenilworth Road, how small that pitch is. I mean, think about small-sided games. What happens when you play just in the attacking third, right? We've seen it when we used to go up against Liverpool when they were in their pomp and we weren't great. The way they wore you the hell out, I think on a small pitch, it's like the whole pitch is the final third. Everything's tight. The distances are small. You know, you're you're under so much physical pressure at all times. Like the thing that really struck me about the Luton game is you just don't have time. We finally earned that time in the second half as Luton started to fade. And I think we did finish much stronger and much more physical and energetic. But early on, you know, normally what happens with Arsenal, right, is we build the play, we get it on Saliba's foot, we have some time, and you can... You can sort of have your rest defense while you're on the ball, or, you know, your, your rest period on the ball. At Luton, it didn't feel like we had that. I, I don't want to go into it because it's with so much to talk about, it is hardly a huge talking point. But I also think the Luton game was shaped by something we used to see a lot in the Premier League, which is a referee trying to even up the match between small club and big club by letting the small club do some things. You know, we used to see it with Stoke. They were so hard to referee because they would foul so much that the ref just felt like, well, I can't card them all because then there won't be anyone left or, you know, they won't be able to play their game. And the the team's approach almost put the ref under the pressure to have to not referee the game the appropriate way. Tim, like I said, I, I don't really want to go into it with so much to discuss, but I do think the knees in the back, the way they went through people, I mean, some of them did get carded, but you know, Jesus got carded for his first foul. I think physical football is part of the game, certainly part of the game in England, and I'm not trying to say it shouldn't be, and we shouldn't whine about it, but I thought that this crossed a bit of a line into more stoke physicality where it was just rough play that was allowed to happen, and it felt like that thumb on the scale getting caught up in the Kenilworth Road atmosphere by the referee, you know, allowing them to have a little evener, you know, even even mm. the playing field a little with the way he refereed. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, did Burnley go about four years without a red card in the Premier League or something, like, which which kind of encapsulates it and the mm. fact, um, you know, older listeners might remember Robbie Savage, who never received a red card um, in his career because volume matters. If you keep kicking people... 
you're just allowed to keep kicking people. Whereas, Should have received red cards for his commentary, to be honest. But that's well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and so that that kind of happens, and there is a kind of it's more noticeable when the team that doesn't do that all the time actually does it and, and comes back. And yeah, like it did at times. At, at times, not so much. I, I do think I think Luton a couple of times stepped a little bit over the line but I, I don't think it was anything like re- you're, you're right about the knees in the back thing that happened quite a lot and Jesus like his yellow card that was that was because Barkley had done Martinelli a couple mm-hmm. of minutes earlier and Jesus was kind of looking after him which you want but obviously like first kind of you know obvious foul Arsenal make of the evening and it's and it's a red card uh, sorry yellow card but but also this plays into like the Arteta thing being booked for celebrating. And it's like, th- this is why the coverage around Arteta and to use Clive's word, serenity is so frustrating because usually like what tabloid media, and I'm not just talking literally, um, you know, actual newspapers. I think we know who and what I might be referring to mm-hmm. when I describe tabloid media, clickbait media, etc. Like generally speaking, that stuff doesn't bother me in sport, uh, in football, just because it's like, well, I can ignore it. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't have to worry about what those people say. Um, but the reason it's so frustrating, the, the you know, the kind of making Arteta the poster boy for insolence and all of that was because, and I know it's only a yellow card and we're talking about it more because it's actually led to a ban. It's not an actual FA charge. But the reason it's so annoying is because it has a tangible impact. And the reason it has a tangible impact is because tabloid media, tabloid coverage Forgive me for being coarse here, but it influences idiots. It influences people who do not think critically about things. And what is so disappointing is that time and time and time and time again, referees and PGMOL and bodies like that show that they're the idiots, that they're getting sucked in by this. They're getting mm-hmm. sucked in by this kind of viral content. No, at the moment, no other manager in the Premier League gets booked for that. And uh, my good friend Andy Kelly, um, fantastic Arsenal historian, among other things, he looked at the IFAB laws and he's like, where does it say excessive celebration is a yellow card offence in the laws of football? He's like, I can't find it. I can't mm-hmm. find any reference. And how and do you measure like, it, Tim? How do you measure excessive, well, exactly, by the way? But then, like, so what about players? So we know, for example, remove your shirt, you'll get a yellow card. And that's that's not that's about sponsorship, Right don't annoy the sponsors at the time when all the cameras are on you or if you jump into the crowd. So those are two measures for players. But what about players? Like how ridiculous would it look if you booked Declan Rice for excessive celebrating for that goal? Like, so why would you book a manager for doing that? And like Deserby runs onto the pitch, Klopp's run onto the pitch. And I'm I'm, like, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. I enjoy it. Don't you enjoy it? Exactly. That's the kind of thing we want to see and so and so it it doesn't even feel like a stupid edict that's come down it just feels like arteta's been made the poster boy by the absolute lowest common denominator outlets and these people who are in charge and making decisions are getting sucked in by it so basically what we've got is officiating that is at the level 
of a tabloid reader and that is really troubling and this is what i mean about you know this kind of evening things up oh i've given three fouls against this team i can't give a fourth that's too many like i maybe i should stop being lazy and actually look it up i'd be really interested to know what kind of critical thinking testing critical reasoning testing referees are subjected to because time and time again i find this just like quite average to low level critical thinking um that influences the way games are officiated and that 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 worries me more than like was that guy's toe offside did he dive was that enough like i i can pick the bones out of that i'm not i'm not as bothered by that stuff it's it's much more this like low level but really permeating stuff like this team is allowed to foul because that's what they do or there's a critical mass of fouls that are, and yellow cards that I'm allowed to give before I have to stop just for the sake of variety. Like, that's, sorry, that's thick. That's just stupid. That is anti-critical reasoning. And for me, that's what refereeing should be about. It should be about critical thinking and reasoning. I find it really worrying that this kind of quite basic test for the aptitude of this job has failed so often. Yeah, Clive? Oh man, brilliant! That's brilliant, Tim. And he's got—I think the game is being challenged. It's quite interesting to see Pep sort of fight back against the media stroke punditry about them talking about his team because what they're saying is that they recognise the influence this has. You know, look at Klopp always complaining about twelve thirty kickoffs. Man, he played last night, and he's got—he's got another twelve thirty on Saturday morning against Crystal Palace. It's almost like they're targeting him around the fixture schedule. And I think with Arteta, they're targeting him. They targeted him from the Charity Shield. Remember, he got a booking in Charity Shield. Oh, I think he's just staying there in the sunshine, and he got a booking, right? So it's like they—they're using him as the poster boy to focus on behaviour. And I find it's content it, creation. It's it content creation by people who are not content creators. Leave exactly. that to us. They're driving—they're <laughs> driving a narrative, and we have to. And it's—it's it's costing us for anybody that goes to a game. Uh, uh, the Emirates and sees Arteta's involvement in every single passing move. Mate, we're going to Aston Villa with 14 home wins in a row on Saturday without our manager. That Don't tell me that's not an impact. It's a massive impact to us. For what? For getting a 97th minute winner, basically a light touch of a game and, and jumping on these coaches in a confined space because Luton is very confined, didn't know where to go. And basically, he didn't go very far because Carlos Cuesta got hold of him. And like suddenly, he's booked for it. He misses Aston Villa, the team below him. I mean, what are we doing? Well, we're sitting there, and this is what bothers me a, a lot, you know. We're sitting there. Fortunately, our players keep getting up. But these fullbacks are running straight into the back of our players, straight on without slowing down. They're getting up. So we're not mad at the moment. But, you know, this could go wrong. When when are we going to focus on managing the game properly rather than managing the outside of the game? You know, manage the game properly and make sure people can play their games of football. The priorities are all wrong for me. They're all wrong. We're not focusing on the football match. We're focusing on the content of Tim Malone too. Yeah, I, I just, I think what we forget is players, uh, refs are people and people get caught up in moments. And I think that late winner for Arsenal was gutting to Luton, uh, to, to Kenilworth Road, to Luton fans, right? Gutting to everyone who's not an Arsenal fan. 
Probably a little gutting to the referees. Excited to see this small club get something. It's a fun narrative. If you're anything neutral, you would have been rooting for Luton in that game. And then Mikel Arteta gives it big, and it annoys everybody. And so he gets a card for it. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's not objective. It's subjective. And by the way, and I'll end it on this, there has to be a way to create more consistency across the way we referee games. Whether that's tightening up the way the laws of the game are written or direction given to referees. You know, um, in, in the NFL, they have something called point of emphasis. And they have point of emphasis for referees. You know what they're not? The point of emphasis isn't if they say mean words to you. The point of emphasis isn't if they you know, uh, look outraged at a call. The point of emphasis is around rules of the game. You know what the point of emphasis in the Premier League was this summer going into this season? If they wave an imaginary card, if they take too long over throw-in, if the managers step out of their technical area, the point of emphasis wasn't around the fucking rules of the game, the laws of the game. It was around making referees feel centered. And the only reason I bring this up is that pull on Gabriel is a penalty. Look, I am the first person to say, if you drop points to Luton, don't blame the referees. And if we had dropped these points, I would not be blaming the refs. I'd probably have a word about David Raya. But let me say this. I've seen Manchester City given Erling Holland is a giant human being. A little arm around his waist in the, in the Manchester Derby and the first goal of the game goes to City because of a pullback. Gabriel is going to head that ball and he has yanked to the ground by his shirt in a way that is dramatic and clear and it's nothing. Okay. I mean, if that's the rule, okay, but tell us that's the rule. Can we just know what the rule is, Tim? Because if I'm a player, let me say this, having played at the level I played, which is just a little different um, because it was U7s, um, Tim, if I'm a player, what I want to know most importantly, especially as a defender, what am I allowed to do in the box? What can, like, if I'm defending a giant guy leaping for a corner, can I pull his shirt forward a little bit to take him out of the way? Because that's an important tool in your toolbox if you can do that. You know what I'm saying, Tim? Like, like, if I were a player, the thing that would outrage me the absolute most, and this isn't even about referees, it's just about the game, is if I do a thing that I've seen called a certain way throughout the season, then I do it and it's called differently. That You can't have that because then players don't know what they're allowed or not allowed to do. Yeah, and that all comes into managing the game because, like, you know, like consistency among referees, I I don't think that's a desirable outcome because different games have different temperatures, contexts, and all of that. And I I don't think it's usually, it's not useful to like directly compare. But things like that, like a pull on the shirt in the penalty area, for Mm -hmm. example, that's like, that's an isolated, particularly set pieces, isolated incident. But but what I I actually wanted to say Mm -hmm. is, I do actually, and maybe to like um, bring the curtain down on this, <laughs> I do I do actually like the increased stoppage time directive, and we yes. should say we've benefited from it because an extra minute was played in this, and rightly so because Luton time wasted on a throw in, and against Manchester United, like some of those late goals we got, we wouldn't have got last season, not because the team was different, but because the the match would have lasted 83 minutes instead of, it's probably about 87, 88 now, but I do actually like that. And I think that's been a long time coming. I'm, I'm fine with increased stoppage time and punishing time wasting. Well said. Look, at the end of the day, whatever complaints we have about the ref in this game, we owe him our life because he could have blown 
as I said, when the free kick was taken, when the pass was made to, to Odegaard, when Odegaard passed to Zinchenko, when Zinchenko passed Odegaard, he didn't. And uh, we owe him for that. So this isn't complaint about the referee vis-a-vis this game so much as just like, uh, you know, it continues to be a talking point. I'm sure there are people listening right now saying you've gone way too long on refs, and I agree. <clears throat> so we won't. Look, I, I will finish with this on referees, though. <laughs> have we considered... Well, just, you know, sometimes you have to think outside the box. Have we considered that they have been using, like, rusty or inappropriate tools to shave their privates, causing them to have nicks and cuts and scratches, which is putting them in a bad mood or distracting them from what's happening on the pitch? Has anybody considered that? Maybe what we should do is band together <clears throat> to get the refs, the wonderful products, <clears throat> from Manscaped. I don't know. We can start a GoFundMe or something. <clears throat> so, referees, if you're listening... It's time to get the Performance Package 5.0. Stop having nicks and cuts in your privates distracting you from refereeing the game appropriately. And even if you're not a referee, it's time to get the Performance Package 5.0. You get the Lawnmower 5.0. It's everything you loved about the, the last Lawnmower, but the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra is the crown jewel of the holidays. It is the best purpose built trimmer of its kind. It has advanced skin safe technology, so we avoid those nicks and cuts, reduce those, right? The fun doesn't stop there. You're going to get the Beard Hedger Pro. The Handyman Electric Face Shaver. By the way, I love that. It is waterproof. It's long, long battery life. Really good travel size. Uh, the Weed Whacker 2.0 ears and nose hair trimmer. I am at the age where I really need to focus on that. Uh, I do suggest you use one of those. Great boxers, the Boxers 2.0. I use them for working out because they're very comfortable. And then the Shears 3.0 Nail Grooming Kit. A huge package. Lawnmower, Beard Hedger, um, Handyman Electric Razor, Weed Whacker 2.0. Boxers 2.0, Shears 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ARSENALVISION <clears throat> at manscaped.com. Picked a bad time to have a bit of something in my throat. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code ARSENALVISION. Say ho, ho, ho to a well-groomed mistletoe with Manscaped. Okay, that's Manscaped. So good there. Indeed. We'll save that for the end, as always. So we'll go with Athletic Greens. Look, health is health. And, uh... A big part of health is taking the right supplements. If you take gummies, you know, I, I know gummy vitamins are all the rage now because they taste good, but I saw one that I was taking was 50 calories per serving, first ingredients, sugar. AG1 is real nutrition. It is derived from the best high-quality absorbable ingredients, 75-quality high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It is a, a whole gut health bomb. That's why I take it because I needed gut health support. I take it for that. A scoop in water in the morning, drink it down. I find that it's helped me reduce my coffee intake, which is you know something that I was trying to do anyway, so now I can. Designed by athletes, so it focuses on recovery. Um, and just, you know, look, at the Ultimately, if you're going to bother taking any supplement at all, you have to take a high-quality one because if you don't, you're getting sugar, you're getting um, all kinds of uh, additives that you don't need, and you're not actually getting the benefit of why you were taking the supplement in the first place. I mean, you know, like maybe we should give this to referees. You know, here, here you go. A supplement for referees that keeps them sharp and focused and alert and, and helps them recover so they can actually run up and down the pitch. A few referees look like they could use that. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, try AG1 and get free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drink 
ag1.com slash vision. Check it out. And last but certainly not least, if you're building the best talent, if you are trying to acquire new referees for whatever's going to replace the PGMOL, you're going to need to recruit referees and you're going to need a place to post that job. And I would recommend Indeed. Indeed is the one job site that helps you do it all. Instead of going on 500 freaking sites and managing 500 posts and 500 replies on 500 different sites. Oh, what was my password for this one? I can't remember. You can do one, one that gets it done. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I think that's critical because what does it matter if you get a bunch of bums, you wind up with the same referees you got now. You need new, better referees. You're going to get the highest quality matches with Indeed. Okay. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and just apply. Need hire? You need Indeed Climb! NordVPN is... The VPN that I use, and, and I use it to be able to browse in the regions that I want to browse in. So, like, if I'm out of the country and I want to be able to watch all the football, because here in the U.S. I'm able to watch all the football. But when I go over to England, for example, sometimes I can't because that whole 3 p.m. blackout thing, which makes total sense. Um, so, I can VPN back to the U.S. and watch all the games. Or sometimes I want to watch Match of the Day when they've given us a whopping 30 seconds of coverage. I can VPN over there get my BBC account and watch Match of the Day. It's also great for threat protection and things like that. Keep all the spyware and junkware and malware off the computer before it even gets on there. There's an app so you can just put it on your Mac, or your PC, or your phone and click the app, click where you want to browse, and you're doing it. Movember is a movement. It is a cause. It is designed to bring attention to men's health issues like prostate and testicular cancer and mental health. And the goal of Movember is to encourage men to talk more openly about their health and to raise funds for research and support programs and to remind you to get tested. And NordVPN is participating in a program to do that. And you'll also have the opportunity to donate a pound, five pounds, 10 pounds to the nominated charity for men's health causes if you want. And so I uh, was encouraged and am happy to uh, remind everybody about that. So let me get to the important information. They are giving you I think a pretty unbelievable deal here, actually. It is four bonus months. So you get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and four bonus months completely risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision, nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. That's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision to get your four bonus months, 30-day risk-free and huge discount. Do it now, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. That it? <clears throat> okay. We are not yet done with this game because, Clive, I believe that we have one of the great center forwards in the Premier League, <laughs> and he should be recognized as such. Gabriel Jesus you love talk about players, did everything in this game that you want a center forward and a winner to do. You know, Declan Rice rightly getting the plaudits for the winner, but I think throughout the game, Jesus was captain material, getting stuck in, protecting Martinelli, right, by enforcing a little rough justice. Um... Kai Havertz's goal is great. It's a screamer from half a yard out. Absolutely beautifully shinned past the keeper. But it comes from Jesus doing, you know, everyone's like, we need an Ivan Tony. Well, Gabriel Jesus did what you would think Ivan Tony should do in a situation like that. He, he wins a long ball by absolutely grappling the hell out of the defender. And on first time half volley, puts it into Kai's path so he can do nothing but score. Gabriel Jesus, what does Ivan Tony do? He wins headers. Gabriel Jesus, bullet header 
into the back of the net. You want to see the example of what not to do there? Go look at Nico Jackson. Nico Jackson will show you what not to do there. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so I, I just, I think it is no surprise to me that the attack looks more venomous, that Kai Havertz is coming to life, that the wide players are getting goals when you have a... <laughs> a player of Jesus's quality, but all around capability. Um, I am going to start a campaign to appreciate him more. Um, but I would like you to start that campaign now, if you could. Yeah, I'm going to, I know you and Tim really love this play. And I always feel bad when you ask me about it because I feel as I'm taking all your lines. So what I do is I'm going to do a little basketball layup for you. Right. And, uh, and, and sort of, and feed you both into it. Cause I know there's deep, deep, deep feelings <laughs> when it comes to Jesus running with you guys. So just give an overview of the game as a whole. And the reason why I think it's so enjoyable is that we showed different faces of, of Arsenal in this game. So we started the game with a physical back four. Right? We were able to do that. It, it, did it, work? it worked up to a point, but we lacked a bit of technical ability on a small pitch. So we flip-changed that in the game, brought Zinchenko and Trossard on and said, we could take the ball away from you. We went long on occasion, which we can now do because Havertz is, is up there. So we can go on the first ball. We've now seen Havertz with, with Jesus, so we can see the interchange where one drops into midfield. When we saw that before, we said, oh my God, Havertz, I'm sorry, Jesus has got to be closer to the box. We've got to we do more work. He's doing too much outside the box. We've got to get him in the box. Oh, we're not saying that anymore. Guess what? New balance has been a been put in with Havertz when he runs it in centre forward he looks like one because he's played for one for, for a club for a couple of years and his country so when he's in that position he knows what he's doing so we created a balance there we've obviously got two brave creative sprinty wingers on the outside but we have an option to change with Trossard if we need to to control the ball and slightly invert and create a much more central overload I think we did all of these things in this game all of them and to be found solution in the ninety seventh minute, Jesus is the almost on this day. I know we started with Declan Rice because he got the glory moment, but for me, Jesus was the player that knitted this all together, that set the tone in all aspects. With quickness of thinking, going for the quick throw, everything about him looked like he was the guy. First man over the top, he was the guy. So. How's that? Does that set you up, Tim Elliot? To it do it your does, thing? and and I, I, of course I'm going to give Tim a shot here. And then look, this is not a sh a shot at Eddie and Kedia particularly. It's just the point that like there are certain things that a great player does that he does with his brain and his effort that don't take immense quality. But that is part of being immense immense quality, right? Is how you think about the game, how you how you apply effort throughout the game, Tim. The throw in that Saka then brilliantly takes and slides to Martinelli for the nice finish. That's not a world-class play, but it is world-class thinking about the game and effort. I don't think there are a lot of strikers that do that. But he doesn't see himself as striker. He sees himself as a frontline player who has to do what he has to do to create goals, and that should be an assist. Could it, it is such a clever contribution. You know what I mean? And so I think with Jesus, you get this really interesting combination of, and I know, look, he will never be a world-class finisher. But I, it's plays like that, like that throw-in that gets us a goal that, you know, again, I think just demonstrates his character and his leadership and his thoughtfulness about the game, um, you know, yeah. that makes him special. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what what he does, and and this again, like you said, this is why I'm not convinced by the we need a target. I, I do kind of think the we need a target man stuff is one of those things that just makes us feel comfortable because um, in English football parlance, Plan B roughly translates as uh, a lamppost to smash the ball at with two minutes to go. Um, but you can do that with Jesus. And like you say, like the, the first three goals are all about him, basically. Like you said, it's not just the throw-in. It's the fact that he's prepared to sprint 40 yards to make the goalkeeper shank the ball out of play for a throw-in. And when he does, he's over to it, quick as a flash, Lovely run by Saka as well, by the way. Like he makes a little dummy run before he gets there. It's just two incredibly smart switched on players. And a lot of coaches will tell you that in matches like this away at Luton, where you where it's going to be physical and Luton have their qualities and, you know, no one gets an easy game there, that's for sure. And Arteta was very complimentary about them afterwards um, as well. It must be said, it's the speed of thought. Some to execution and speed of thought that really separates Arsenal players from Luton players, and that's what you've got. But the other thing is, it just matters, right? When you're playing Luton at Kenilworth Road for the first time in like 30 years or so, more than 30 years, and they're well up for it, and everyone's close to that. Like, this is there aren't many of these games left in the Premier League. Um, where it's like proper old-fashioned, tight ground, 10,000, everyone's on top of you, you know, um, screaming obscenities at you and all of that. It's, it's a bit of a throwback game. So having a striker coming up against the back three, and all of Luton's centre-backs are about eight foot six as well, having a guy who's just like, okay, fine, that, that suits me, mate. Like, I'll run through you, I'll run at you, I'll jump higher than you, I'll run faster than you. When I get turned, I'll dribble you. Mm. And just doing everything. And the thing is, I, you know, I, I think people overplay a bit, not a lot, but a bit the goal-scoring thing because I do think he helps the team to score more goals. And I thought Clive described it really well on the Monday pod about having, like, when he has the intelligence to come away from the front line and create space for others. That's exactly what he does for the Habert's goal. He gets out of the way so someone else can get into the centre-forward position. And that's that's what you want, that kind of interchange. Like, again, to your point, not to have a shot at him, Ed, Ed is a centre-forward, Ed is the goal scorer, but he stands there. He stands on the penalty spot. He span, stands on the six-yard line. He doesn't do the coming out and letting other people do that. But the thing is about this game, Elliot, and why I think he really, really, really deserves his flowers from two of his biggest fans, is he also does the thing that people say he doesn't do, which is that he bullets a header in from three yards out by attacking across from the fullback. So, mm. like, how can you get a more complete centre-forward performance than that and I thought the other thing that was notice noticeable as well is obviously he came back from injury we've played him in every game that tells you something straight back in the team but in those games we managed his minutes in this game Eddie stayed on the bench we needed a goal going into injury time last 20 minutes 3-3 Eddie stayed on the bench that's because Jesus was having the game of his life and Arteta mm. could see it. He might even have had a plan to take Jesus off with 20 minutes to go in this game. And perhaps if we were a couple of goals ahead, that might have happened. Perhaps, you know, he'd preferred to have done that with Villa in mind on Saturday. But Arteta's no fool. He could see we need a goal and this guy is either going to score it or make it. In the end, he actually doesn't with the winner. It's the only goal he doesn't mm -hmm. actually create, but his movement and everything like that, like 
I, I wouldn't mind betting that Arteta didn't plan to play him for the full game, but he was so hot and so on fire. He just thought, I've got to let this guy go. I, I think he's our best player on the night by a distance. Three shots, three shots on target, a goal, an assist, the pre-assist with the throw-in, 1.2 expected goals plus expected assists, nine shot-creating actions, 13 touches in the box. I mean, we play against teams that don't have 13 touches in the box by themselves. Um, And just, yeah, a a real leader kind of position, a leader kind of performance from center forward position. And of course, by the way, it's another assist for Bakayo Saka. It's a goal for Martinelli. There's a lot of good, it's an assist at the end for Odegaard. A lot of good in this game that I think would be celebrated more if it weren't for obviously the keeper errors, which get headlines and also make people say, oh, what happened to your defense? I thought you had the best defense. I mean, it's 2.2 to 0.5 on XG. It's 23 shots to six. The last 25 or so minutes of of football that were played, we outshot Luton 11 to zero. Okay, so like there is a perception this was a close game. I think Luton in the first half in particular really contested it well physically and then faded badly. I don't think this was a close game from a sort of football, the way the football was played standpoint. I think it was a close game because there's variance in football and errors can happen. And when errors happen, weird things happen. Um, but, you know, because we have Declan Rice, we want it. And that's uh, something that nobody else has, thank God. Um, we'll tilt to the other results around the league and the, and the, and the Villa side of this, because I think that is important. But just as a final word on this, Clive, it was a mixed performance for Kivior. I think this was more a Zinchenko game because on a tight pitch against a team that isn't going to attack much. Now, they got three goals, as it turns out, but didn't attack much. I think having a little bit more of a technical player, a small space player would have made sense, but you got to give Kibior minutes because with Tomiyasu now ruled out for probably six weeks plus and then off to the Asian Cup. Is that what it's called? Asia Cup? Asia Cup, right? Um, We look really, really short at the back and no one, you know, with all the best will in the world, Cedric should probably be more of a... uh, a mascot and a leader in the dressing room than on the pitch at this point. So, you know, you look at it and you see White, Saliba, um, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Kibior. It's kind of it. Yeah, we've got five that's defenders, right? When we need yeah. we need eight. That's, that's what we so really Kibior's need. So going to have to play sometime, you know, when we've got a trip to Anfield on I'm the horizon. Not, I'm not worried about Kibior at all. And you could say, I thought Martinelli was fine in the looting game, but to be honest, Elliot, I... Once he'd done his work and got the kick, I could see, I felt it suited a Trossard more. I felt it suited a more of a, a tight, you know, a tight player that plays in smaller spaces. And uh, and Trossard came in and had a million touches in the box within his last few minutes and nearly could have been the hero himself. And, and, but that's, but you know what? That's okay. We were physical in the, in the first part of that game. It's quite interesting. I think Adrian said this, and I, I think he's brilliant, right? And he, we have to realize is when you see a game transpire in front of you and you see Zinchenko on the ball, you say, ah, Zinchenko game. But mate, when Luton were fresh in the first half, they may have just stuck uh, that Adi Bayo straight onto Zinchenko and said, go on and deal with him. Don't forget, people will always look for the dope. If you show them your knickers, they'll go and find it. Do you see what I mean? And so when we on charge of the game and charge the ball, you bring Zinchenko on, you think, ah, Zinchenko game. That's not how it goes all the time. People will look for your weakness and whatever you show them. That's what disappoints you about the set-piece goals. 
we had a team to not concede set pieces and we conceded two. You know, and so, but we were able to react. And I think that's key. Kivior will be fine. If you ask me honestly, my, in my heart, I think he wants to play more. And I keep seeing things about him going back to Italy. And maybe that's something we look at in, in the summer, potentially, if there's a, a good offer. But I, I really like him and I hope he stays. I hope he wants to stay and be part of this. But it must be very difficult for him looking at Saliba and Gabriel, who just look like the best partnership in the league, which, yeah. to my opinion, that's exactly what they are, you know, as a partnership. Yeah, um, go ahead, mate. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think this is where football is really, really tricky, right? You have to get a little bit lucky. You just have to. I mean, Manchester City lose Rodri, and they've lost all four games domestically they played without him. You know, certain players are so important. Right now, our back line I mean, we really, really needed to keep Tommy fit. The way he was playing, the way he was looking with some of the fixtures ahead. We play every three days, you know, until that winter break in January. And this is where luck's going to have to kick in. We just need these defenders to stay fit. We just do. Because there's no one behind them. Literally no one behind them. Um, and it's why, like, for the PSV game, with the best will in the world about respecting the competition and and with the best will in the world about winning culture, you're going to have to play kids. I know that's a thing fans say and managers don't do it. Look at the fixtures. Look what we have available to us. You got to play kids. So we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I want to shift gears to Villa. And by the way, I know we you know we haven't said much on like Bacayo and Martinelli. There's only so much you and can Odegaard. you can talk about. Odegaard, yep, An- another solid performance. It's just it's a team of of solid players, and we're not going to do one through eleven every game. Although uh, I think we did that, did that in the instant reaction because we were all flying. Um, all right, Unai Emery has managed 14 consecutive wins at Villa Park. They sit third in the table after not just beating Manchester City. So so they're on 32 points. They're four behind us, 10 wins, two draws, three losses, uh, plus 14 goal difference, 34 goals, four, one more than us, 20 goals conceded, six more than us, um, about the same as Spurs there, actually. But they they didn't just beat Manchester City. They obliterated Manchester City. On XG, it was 2.3 to 0.6. The eye-catching statistic is, and I still can't really believe this, 22 shots to two. Tim, this was a weakened Manchester City, but you'll forgive me if I don't have a lot of sympathy for that with the (laughs) money they've spent and the resources they have. I mean, they started Rico Lewis in attacking midfield. They went with, you know, five defenders. They didn't have... Grealish or Doku or De Bruyne or Rodri, you know, Crimea River. They get two shots in this game. Um, this was this was a domination. And I'm kind of curious to get your take, not on the Man City of it, because there'll be time for that. But given that we play Villa at Villa Park next, what's your take on what Emery's doing there and what they just did to Manchester City? Because honestly, admittedly, before this game, I looked at some of the underlying metrics. I thought, eh, they're a nice team, but they're probably flying a little too close to the sun at the moment. This is this is a statement, the way they, they smacked Manchester City. Yeah, they did. They're, they're very like Newcastle coded in terms of there's a very big divergence between their home results and their away results, a lot like Newcastle. And a lot of that 
is I think because of the intensity with which they play. And there are a few teams in the league doing this at the moment who have this big divergence between home and away games. Interestingly, Everton are brilliant away and rubbish at home, uh, which really kind of goes against the like the Goodison kind of um, effect, as it were. But like I watched this game and they were just all over City. It's just one of those games you get sometimes from high-pressing teams where it just works and they're just all over you and you can't shake them off and they absolutely smother you. It, it was, you know, a bit like watching Klopp's Liverpool at their best or Dortmund or we've been on the end of um, of a few of those before. I, and and so, yeah, it was a bit scary. And none of the guys who were on four yellow cards got booked um, either, which was um, a little bit annoying. Like as much as I was willing Villa to hold on at the end, I was thinking, can Douglas Louise kick the ball away? Maybe. Um, <laughs> may, maybe take his time over a throw-in um, or something like that. I, I guess on the quote-unquote positive side for Arsenal, I mean, first of all, we've got, a very, very recent analogue. Like I know what a lot of coaches do is they look at how teams put like a, what you know Arteta and what Arsenal would do is they'd look at the games that these teams have played against other big teams because that's usually a bit of a template. So we know what they're going to do. They're going to try and do exactly the same thing. The positive for us, maybe, is they didn't make any subs, Villa. Um, so they, they had the same 11 players and they really, really put in. They made they made subs. Did they? they? they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, four, four of them, in fact. Uh, oh, I thought they made none. I must. They been. may have made no changes. That that's possible from the previous team. I don't know that. So, but yeah, just okay. want to correct that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, anyway, they mm-hmm. they they put in a they did shift. put in a shift. Yes, they put in a big old shift. And for what and it's worth, got- by the way, their first sub was at 85th minute. So right, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, indeed, indeed. So like, yeah, so nothing before the 85th. So like, that's a big shift they put in, mm-hmm. and we've had an extra day's rest. So hopefully, that comes into it um, a little bit, and we, we we're in no doubt of what's coming at us. Um, on on Saturday, so, so it's obviously going to be a really really tough game. What you'd maybe say, maybe this is just the the anxious, slightly defeatist uh, personality I have, is that result perhaps gives us room to draw this and not call it a terrible result. Um, you know, like again, I'm under no illusions that like that's it, City are behind us and that's the end of it, kind of thing. Clearly not, but I mean, both the context and the gap. If we came away with a draw, you could say, okay, that's all right. No drama. Beat Brighton at home next weekend. Um, and and that's kind of all right. Obviously, I want to win. I think we can win. think we should win and all of that. But it, it gives us a little bit of breathing space, I think. And I think also with last year's um, kind of it, – it also kind of makes Villa the team of the moment. Um, which which might have been Clive's point that we've we haven't gone six cl- points clear at the top, but we're six points clear of City, and that might have been a bigger talking point. But Villa, <laughs> Villa have like leapfrogged into you know they they've got that that conversation around them that Tottenham had a month or two ago. Like, could they get into the title race? And that uh, that could be valuable for us as well. Let me tell you something: those six points above City are going to feel more relevant. Yeah. When they get De Bruyne back yep. and they get Doku back and they get Rodri back and the winter break ends and they finish the season 18 consecutive wins. Okay. It's going to, yeah. those six points are going to feel pretty, pretty important. There was, 
Sorry, I was going to say there was a good tweet from Paddy Arsenal about like, I bet City have got De Bruyne in a darkened room watching Arsenal compilations right now. <laughs> they, yeah, I think he said like the hate run that De Bruyne is going to go on when he comes back is going to be epic. Um, look, Clive, here's my take, super quick. This is going to be a very, very hard game and we will need to play well to win it. I'm seeing, you know, the... I. Bite your hand off for a draw, take a draw. We'll need to be at our absolute best to get anything from this game. Villa will need to be at their absolute best to get anything from this game. We are the superior team. We play the superior football. We are better than them. We're better coached. We have more talent. We are the better team. They're in a good moment and they're playing well. But the idea that we have to go there and be superhuman to get anything is, to me, a nonsense. I think if we go and have our standard level performance, it will take something special from them to even get a point. That's my feeling. Because we are the best team in the league right now. And I think as fans, we don't really have the swagger yet because we're still not sure we believe it. We still think of ourselves as the glass-jawed arsenal. And I know just having conceded three goals at Luton, oh, big man just conceded three goals at Luton. Well, you know, we chucked a couple in. You look at every game, we control every game. Manchester City got dominated this game. You know where they had less XG against us? I, I just, I, Clive, what do you think the challenge will be? And do you think Emery will go into his lab and cook up something crazy for this game? Because we know sometimes he does overthink some of these games. We know him very well. This is going to be a very hard game. But I have us as favorites to win it if we play our way. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm looking at next two away games against um, Liverpool and Villa. And I need, I want four points. That means you've got to beat one of them. And I, and I, for some reason, I've got a good feeling about Saturday. You know, I'm not often like that. And I looked at how Villa play, and they do a thing where they have a back three. So they've moved Matty Cash out, who was a player I quite like, and they've said, put Esri Contra in as sort of like the uh, the Ben White type player, but gone Tierney on the left back. So put Luca Dino up high, and he pushes up high on that side. And they overload central areas with, um, is it Kamara? Um, McGinn mm-hmm. and um, Tielemans and mm-hmm. Douglas Louise. So they really do focus on that central area. So what does Man City try and do? Focus central area. What do we do? Focus that central area. We roll our left back inside, which we're going to do at the weekend. But I think, strangely, I think we're better in the central area than City are right now with the people they had out. They also didn't have Doku or Greedis available for that game. So when they did win it in central areas, they couldn't really build up into wide areas and really make, really stress that back three of Villa out. We can. So Villa were also very brave to stand on the on the halfway line on occasions to give it the old Ange ball stuff. And something I read this week, I read the article, but I saw the headline and I, it was about Villa's offside trap, and they really lean into their offside trap. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. What are we quite good at? The way we pull people around and late arrivals into the box. I actually think we could be there. I'm going to go big here. I'm going to say it, right? I think we're, we're their kryptonite. We're the sort of team that, uh, that is very difficult. We don't have a main goal scorer. So we can, we come from all angles. We come all angle. That's going to be very difficult. You want to hold your line? Well, feel free. Hold your line. We've got Saka Martinelli can go over the top in phase one. And we've got, we got Havertz and come second well, to second phase into the box, etc. I think we've got more ways to manipulate and, and we still care about the central control. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this game. And we are top of the away table. They're top of the home league table. But something's got to give, right? And I think this is one game 
which I think suits us. It, it suits us, and I've got a good feeling about it. Villa are cock-a-hoop. They're cock-a-hoop, and they feel confident, they feel strong, but we're strong. If, if we're not carrying any, the press conference is 9.30 on Friday morning, UK time, mm. unless the manager says, we've got a bad issue with some a player that's gone down we don't expect. If we go with a, a very similar team to what we started at, at Luton, maybe Zincheco come in for this game to control the ball, I think, bring it on. Bring it on. I think we'll take them. I'm excited for it. And I will tell you this, if Villa do have a lead at halftime, I feel for the Villa fans for watching what Unai Emery's going to do, what capitulation he will come up with to try to hold on to that lead. Because um, that has sort of been a a blueprint for him is to get a lead. And then as we know... Uh, he has he has changed that now. club. i got to give him his due, right? He, is, yeah. he has energized that club. They were in the Steven Gerrard mud, mate. And the British media are trying to boost him up. And Unai's come in there and he's changed that club. He may not suit the bright lights of, of Arsenal because we literally hang on every syllable and every word has got to be perfect. But he suits that club and he really has. And not only that, he has brought people around him in people like Monchi to make sure that when he asks for a player, he gets one. And when he came into Arsenal, we're in, we're in a model change and we ripped him to bits, mate. And But I held my ground on him. He's a decent coach, just in the wrong club. And now he's in yeah. the right club for him and he's doing really well. I, I hate the way it's being talked about and some of the revisionism about, you know, oh, you know, he would have had Arsenal where Mikel has him if they gave him time or gave him this. Look, let's not rewrite history. My issue with Unai Emery isn't that he had an accent. We make fun of Mikel's accent, right? If hugging his standards, right? We, we, but you know what it is? His tactics work. His player recruitment works. Now, I think Emery was undercut at Arsenal, certainly by having Raul there. No question. Great. And the absolute mess behind the scenes. No question. But I have not seen a mess tactically at Arsenal since I've been supporting, like I saw during that season and a half. All the players on one side of the pitch and big switch and suddenly they're in on your goal. I mean, some of the stuff we did trying to get top four that season. And that team, you know, you can make fun of that team. That team had a lot of talent in it, by the way. Go look at it. There's a lot of good players in that team. We needed a rebuild. I think Emery got a little bit unlucky, like I said, with the with the backroom staff that he had and the, the players he inherited. And he wasn't the man for the rebuild, and he's a good coach. But he also suffered at PSG, as many coaches do. I, I think Unai Emery fits that mid-table club striving. He's a bit of a striver, right? And I think that he's perfect for that. Um, certain managers fit certain clubs. David Moyes is a half-decent coach, but he wasn't a Manchester United coach, right? Eric Ten Hag... Look at the difference. Clubs fit certain managers and don't fit others. And I, I, I think that's just the reality of it. I will not dismiss him. He has achieved a lot in the game and he is good. But I will say this, Tim, as a final thought on this. I think Aston Villa will play us in a way that few other teams have tried to play us. Mm -hmm. And in Champions League, we've seen that that's gone very well for us. Obviously, Villa are much better. Ole Watkins is an exceptional player. Musa Diaby is good if he starts. Leon Baye is having a season of his life. He looks good. I mean, he hasn't played a ton, but he's been brilliant. Um, obviously, they have Douglas Luiz, who is a player that we want. There's no chance that a team looking for the first Champions League bid in a million years is going to sell Douglas Luiz in January. But they have a lot of talent. I just think they will come to play us. And I'm excited to see a Premier League fixture where a team... Wants to play a bit of football, and I think it could be a big day for Martinelli in particular because it's a big pitch. There's a lot of space. They're going to push that line up, and we have not mm. seen a high line in the Premier League this season, but 
God knows that Martinelli should be, if he is fit, if that knee in the back didn't do something to him, should be licking his chops for Jesus to get a ball with his back to a defender and play it into space and run on. I, I think it sets up well for him. Yeah, yeah. When Villa um, won at Spurs recently, which I think we all enjoyed, um, I think, did they have like three goals? Uh, Spurs, I think, had at least two. Like Three offside, Tim. Three offside yeah. is allowed. Yep. Yeah. Spurs yeah. kind of battered them, to be honest, in terms of possession, yeah. XG, all that stuff. Yeah. It's it's high risk, high reward stuff, right? And I think Clive makes a great point there about, um, you know, again, I'm not going to say for one minute that City are easy to defend, but Villa would have gone into that game going, keep Haaland away from the goal, keep him away from the 18-yard area. And they did. They did. They did by pushing him back into the centre circle um, and not letting him get in the, in those areas. And uh, like he can run in behind, don't get me wrong, he can do everything, but it's not, it's not his strength. And actually he did have... Like a bit, well, he had two big chances in the same play in the first half where he he really really could have scored. So, you know, it's it's not, but but to, yeah, to your point, and we've got runners um, effectively, and and maybe you could make a case that Villa have been kind of getting away with that for a while. They did have they had a game at the beginning of the season, I'm sure, where they got done four nil or something. Where it's Newcastle five one, mate. Yeah, that's it. Game. That's it. Yeah, like they, they they play on the knife edge, right? And nights like Tuesday night, that really goes or Wednesday night, that really goes to them. Could go for them again on Saturday. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a literal, you know, like, oh, it went for them in this game, so it won't in that like but but it's on a knife edge. They play knife edge football and when it works, it really works. But sometimes it doesn't, and when teams challenge it, um and what have Newcastle got, you know, Anthony Gordon uh, kind of running at you, they've got Isaac uh, relatively similar player um, to Gabriel Jesus and and Ron uh, not Rondon uh, Almiron, you know they they've got runners in their front three Newcastle and they took them apart that day. To be fair, Villa got that injury to Tyrone Mings that day, I think, and that just completely pulled their defensive organisation apart. But it does happen. It doesn't really work for them away from home. Um, and that's probably because teams take the game to them a bit more um, when they're at home and Villa are away and we're going to take the game to them, I'm sure. Um, we're certainly going to try to anyway, although I'm sure that was Man City's plan as well. So, yeah, like there's there's definitely room for us to shine in this game. Um, it's just a case of of whether we execute on the day. Yeah, and just to note, I mean, look, before playing Manchester City, who is, you know, until they're displaced, the best team in the league and absolutely blew the doors off them. These are the teams they played at home in the league. Everton, Palace, Brighton, West Ham, Luton, Fulham. Everton, Brighton, Palace, West Ham, Luton, Fulham. Those are their home fixtures. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that earlier. So, I mean, and again, they just played Manchester City and blew the doors off them. So let's, let's not get it twisted. They're good. But the home win record is definitely propped up a bit because if you look at some of their away games, they, they've they lost some bad away games um, and, and been monstered in a few of them. I mean... They lost to Forest. Certainly. Yeah, they lost to Forest. They also, I mean, obviously, they, they beat Spurs in a game where they were they were outplayed, but they uh, they got pounded by Liverpool and they got pounded by Newcastle. Um, so we'll see. I, I think it's a game for our wide players. I think Saka and Martinelli should feast. And should expect to. Um, let's just play our football. See where it goes from there. We'll do power rankings tomorrow, which will give us a chance to get stuck into Chelsea. Because, <laughs> my goodness. 
I mean, they gave Manchester United 25% of their shots and their XG on the whole damn season in 90 minutes. It was an epic dumpster fire, and we will discuss it uh, on the Power Rankings pod tomorrow. We'll have an instant reaction right after the Arsenal win on Saturday, so please join us for that. But we're just happy for you to be here. Tried to cover it all today in a crisp 90 minutes. Thank you to my friend Tim, who you can find on Twitter at Stillmanator. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. To Clive, who's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Big weekend. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, by the way, shout out to Paul. Paul obviously will be back on tons and tons of pods, just going through a busy, busy time in his life. A lot going on, really hectic. And so, uh, you know, we we lift each other up, right? We rotate. We give each other minutes. We lift each other up. So all the best to Paul. My name's Alex Smith. Black Man Twitter. Gunner, we love you. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Bill, no. 